Hello, happy Monday. If you're listening to this when it's out or on a Monday, uh, but if you're listening to it after, happy day to whatever day you're on. Welcome to the Life in Red podcast. It's Life in Red podcast on Facebook and Instagram and Life in Red pod on Twitter. My guest today comes on to talk about a subject that me as a male with all my biological male reproductive organs will never experience. And it is a subject that I knew a little bit going into because one of my dearest friends struggles with endometriosis. But to know that so many people have such severe issues with with endo, like, and just to hear some of the symptoms and some of the struggles and how hard it can be to get diagnosed, just some of those things where it opens your eyes to how many people must suffer in silence and, and never be able to get treatment because treatment can be so you know expensive if you don't have universal health care um or you know just just really because it can come back and, and take so long so we talk about endo and everything too that goes into it but we also talk about her business and this is really cool that during the pandemic she started something it's called golden girl it's g-l-d-n-g-r-l which is a jewelry, which is great, um, company that she started during the pandemic. But $5 from every sale is donated to, you know, endo research and care and other women's health. And she uses her platform of jewelry, which is a passion, into raising awareness and funds for chronic illnesses. It's spectacular. And I've known her for a while as a, a friend of uh, former guests and friends, um, Maddie and Jenna from earlier episodes. So we've known each other before, but it was really great to hear her story. So go check out Golden Girl and please give it up for my guest, Summer Barada. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. We've known each other for a long time, but we've never actually like sat and talked one on one. So summer, summer, nice to uh, I guess get this chance to get to know you a little bit better. And thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. This is nice. You are. We've met through our mutual friends and friends of the show, past guest uh, Jenna and uh, Madison. So that's how we've met in person. You, the, the the pandemic, and I've talked about it a lot on the podcast. It's like some people went into retreat mode, which is totally fine given the circumstances that we're in. You've done something, I think, truly amazing and like launched this wonderful platform called Golden Girl. And we're definitely going to talk about that. But first, I want to ask you, you know, from your perspective, how has the pandemic been for you? How are you doing now? Um, yeah, thanks for asking because it's very different for everyone. Mm. Um, it's been good. I mean, I... I don't like to say it's been tough because I'm very fortunate. You know, I still have a full-time job. Like you said, I was able to do this. Um, my family is in Ottawa. So, you know, there are people that are in worse situations, but I mean, it is, it is still very, very difficult. Um, it's, it's hard because the things you're used to in your life have kind of been put on hold. Um, 
so you're thrown into an alternate reality almost. Right. And it's a, it's a whole new mental understanding and like trying to cope with what's going on. And then you also feel your privilege really strong and you think, okay, well, I'm in a good spot. So you almost feel guilty, right. Because of whatever other people are going through. So, I mean, I, all in all, I'm, I'm doing well and, you know, I'm healthy. My family's healthy. And I think that's the most important thing for me personally. Um, but it has been tricky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel the exact same way that in ways this pandemic has offered me a lot of blessings with some of the opportunities, but it hasn't come without challenges. And while understanding a lot of other people have faced significant more challenges, um, I, like, I don't think it discredits the challenge that it's been for everybody in different ways. And I think that's always important to acknowledge through this pandemic. Like I said, you started golden girl. Um, and like, for one, just like congratulations and amazing work. I think like, it's so cool. So why don't you explain a little bit about what it is? We'll get into it a little bit more in depth later, but why you started this, this platform and this kind of this, this business. Yeah. Um, I, I've always been a big jewelry person. So first of all, golden girl is a jewelry brand. Um, but what we do and what I try to do with it is advocate for women's health, specifically women's reproductive health, because that's something that hits close to home for me. Um, so I have endometriosis, which is a women's reproductive health disease. That is a mainly chronic pain, um, disease, but what I discovered from having it is that not a lot of people know about it, but it's very common. So my goal with golden girl was to, you know, create jewelry, um, that I could sell or, um, use essentially as a platform to raise funds and awareness for people with endometriosis or women's health. Um, you know, we talk about mental health a lot as well. Um, essentially anything that I can do that kind of opens that conversation up. Um, and it's been, yeah, it's been really positive. So I started in October and I think it launched October 30th. So it's been about six months. Um, and it's, it's been really nice. I've met a lot of people through the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting once you start getting into like the advocacy mm-hmm. circle or, or just start talking openly about a subject or certain things, the, yeah, I, I was actually just having this conversation today um, that like you, you attract the energy that you put out. And when you start talking about things, people start talking back to you about it. And you yeah. just, you, it kind of opens your mind to all sorts of different possibilities. Mm-hmm. Endometriosis, my, my best friend, uh, she suffers from it. Um, so I know a little bit about it, but obviously, I mean, I, I can't say I know like everything. Mm-hmm. What, what is it? Like what? what is going on in the body uh, and what are some of the things that you experienced or experience uh, Mm -hmm. like with it? So endometriosis is a disease where tissue that's similar to that, which grows in your uterus called the endometrium um, grows outside of your uterus. So essentially it's just kind of this rogue tissue that's taking over and growing all over. um, And it's not supposed to be there and it can cause, like debilitating and severe pain. Um, so for me, I, I only discovered I had endo when I was about 21, 22. So in my early twenties and my, my experience with it, I'm actually very fortunate. I got diagnosis a lot sooner than most people. Um, but for me, it was just, 
you know, I would have my period and it would be unbearable. I've mm. blacked out. I've vomited. Um, I'm hunched over in pain. I've taken way over the limit of painkillers and I'm still in extreme pain. Um, you know, I've, I've suffered dehydration, um, pretty severe intolerances to like food and alcohol, you know, the normal consumption would just completely make me a wreck the next day. Um, uh, other digestive issues essentially, but the pain is pretty much the worst part because it starts to affect your work life and your love life and your friends, everything, right? Like I would go to work at good life and I would be hunched over and, one of my sister who worked there at the time, her client was a nurse. It was like somewhere like you can't take any more painkillers, you know, cause she knew what I was going through. Um, so when you're in that much pain, there's obviously like a mental effect that comes into play as well. Mm. So for me, it was, it was pretty hard. Um, and I think one of the biggest effects is like kind of, it kind of took me off like the dating and social scene for a while. Um, just because I would, didn't feel physically or mentally fit to be to be out there, um, and that that's tough. Yeah, it's it's one of the things um, I haven't talked about it in a while on the podcast, uh, but I I've covered especially um, chronic pain with women. That you're right. Not only are you dealing with excruciating pain, but like that that mental health aspect of it is huge because it's hard to be you know, in a good mental health space when you're in pain. So you kind of get that, that dual um, cycle going on with just like everything just kind of seems like it's going to, to shit. I'm curious about your experience getting diagnosed. Um, and obviously it's a touchy subject for a lot of people, but from my experience and conversations on this podcast and in real life, going to a doctor with an issue like this can be very, like endo can be very hard to diagnose because often, you know, you said you were taking a bunch of painkillers, but that's often that you go into ER and they're just like, go just take some painkillers and go away, mm-hmm. please. Like go have a nap or, or they'll, they'll question your diet and, you know, lose some weight yeah. or something. Right. Like they just, just, it's very dismissive. So it's really hard to get a doctor to pay attention and um, yeah. take you seriously. Was that your experience as well with it? Um. I, I have a really good family doctor. So, um, I was very lucky and, you know, a lot of people don't even have family doctors and that's where it's, where those trips to the ER, I have been in that situation where you go and your experience is horrible, right? You don't, don't get answers for the most part. Um, and from the endo community, that's what I've heard from a lot of people. Um, but I was essentially referred to a gynecologist, um, when I talked to my doctor about like, you know, the pain I was going through and how this is just not normal. Um, and he saw me fairly quickly. Um, my experience with him was interesting because right off the bat, he said, okay, based on what you're describing to me, you could have had an endometriosis. And just like I did now, um, I was like, what, what is that word? I can't even say it. Right. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I remember looking at my mom and we're like, huh? Um, and this was only maybe five, six years ago. And I had no idea what it was. And none none of my friends or family did either. Um, And he said, okay, so here there's options of what we can do here. Typically, like we go in and we do it laparoscopically and we'll remove it. Um, Or, you know, there aren't really any cures, but there's two things that have seemed to help um, either hysterectomy 
or um, you get pregnant. And I'm 21, 22. Mm. He's like, but you maybe want to have kids, right? And I was just kind of like shocked because I was thinking, is it, are you being serious? Like, I, I can't tell if you're, you know, he's a very sarcastic, smart guy, but I was offended. I was like, you're telling me that either I have to like be a mom right now, or I have to remove my only way to have my own child. Like this, the, that can't be the reality of it. Um, so obviously I said, no, like I'm not comfortable with that. So he did some tests and it found, um, I actually had an ovarian cyst and because I had that, they were, they wanted to remove it because it was wrapping around my ovary. So that's how they confirmed I had endo. Um, so the time frame in which that happened was actually only a few years, which is pretty good. I think the average is about seven upwards. So I found out pretty quickly. Um, but the experience, it was rough. Like I went through a lot of, um, different treatments and stuff, and we might dive into that a little bit more after, mm-hmm. but, um, my diagnosis time was fairly good compared to what a lot of people go through. So once you're diagnosed, you, let's talk about those, those treatments and like, and what you're doing is mm-hmm. this disease, is it hereditary? Is it something that can just happen? Is it from lifestyle? Um, you mentioned that it's pretty common. So, you know, what, what are some of the things that you had to do to try to manage this? Yeah. So it is common. It's one in 10 that have it. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. So it's a lot. So in Canada, I think it's like 157 million or something. So it's a lot. Um, and, or is that worldwide? My math is not good, but it's a big number regardless. Um, for me specifically, what happened was I had that surgery. So the surgery helps. That's the pretty much the two things is you can do for endo that will really help our, um, excision or ablation surgery. So where they go in and they either cut it out and like actually dig out all the tissue and remove it, or they cauterize it. Um, the cauterizing isn't as helpful because you know, you're, it's like a plant. You're kind of keeping the roots that can continue to grow back. Um, so I had my first surgery and before that he tried me on different hormone therapies because that was kind of something that you can manage it, right? Like I've been on the birth control pill since I was 14. And that for me was um, kind of scary because that's the only thing that kind of manages when I would have these flare-ups because mine were really, really based Mm -hmm. around uh, my period. And for a lot of people, it's not like that. They can have day-to-day extreme pain. So um, the first thing we tried was the Depo-Provera shot, which is a birth control needle that they, they put in your bum and you get it every three months. And one of the side effects of that, there's a one in 1000 chance you can have alopecia, which means hair loss. And I had that. Um, So I was in the shower um, and about like a clump like this came out in the shower. And for a girl um, who loves hair and, you know, we have weird sentimental attachment to our hair. That was a big no, no. So I went back to the doctor and he's like, hmm, weird. Okay. Well, I guess we can't do that anymore. We're going to have to put you back when you're already on. And I was like, okay, great. So I went through several months of these injections um, and changing my hormones. So, which means increasing flare-ups, increasing the frequency of periods, uh, the intensity of them for nothing. Um, I was fast tracked to a 
specialist here in Ottawa who uh, works out of the Riverside Women's Hospital. So they have a really great center there for anyone that does have endo. If you can get it, your doctor to get you there, that's what I, I recommend. Mm. Um, and we tried other kinds of therapies as well for hormones. Um, I was actually put into a um, clinical trial because there was a drug that looked really good. And so I was approved for it just based on the intensity and um, frequency of my pain. And it turns out that it had to be canceled after months of me going off my uh, therapies and stuff for this because there was cancer in ovarian cancer in the rats that they were testing over. Yeah. So a lot, you go through a lot, mm-hmm. right? And that's the thing with endo. And I, I think, you know, with a lot of diseases is there isn't really just a one-stop shop for a cure or for a remedy. And it's going to be completely different for everyone. So I went through a lot of hoops um, and a lot of pain kind of going off and on different medications and, and treatments. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a ton of work. That's, that is yeah, that's an ordeal. Um, not to meant like, you know, just going through that mentally is challenging because you don't know, yeah. is this going to work? The anxiety, the, the, the disappointment when it might not work. Or like you said, the losing your hair, one of my um, ex-girlfriends had alopecia and you know, you, again, I just learned these things through like experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a guy and like, I'm losing my hair right now and I won't like not wear a hat. So like, yeah. <laughs> When I go put that perspective on, you know, women, cause you're right. That like, just all of that, just from, you know, this, the it growing outside of the uterus, mm-hmm. what is, I like, I don't know. Cause I know we're both not doctors um, yeah. and not like experts, but what is it just about that? Like it, growing outside of the uterus that makes everything like so bad. Do you know, has that been explained um, to you? Yeah. I mean, it can grow. So there's a couple things. It can grow on a lot of your organs, which oh, causes okay. issues, right? So um, they found it on my bowel and in my diaphragm. And it was actually, the reason I got sent to a specialist is because my surgeon found that it, there was like a chunk of endo that had fused uh, my bowel to my uterus and was actually like dragging it at a place. Oh. Um, so it's like the sticky tissue essentially. Right. So once it's in there and it can attach to things and it can move things out of, out of alignment um, and anything growing on an organ that's not supposed to be there isn't good. Right. And it can just um, screw up the function of it. But the other big thing about it is it is a huge, it's an inflammatory disease. So it causes a lot of inflammation. Um, So say you have endo, you know, growing like in your lungs, which it does. There's a girl in Ottawa who has it in her lungs. Um, you know, you can only think of the inflammation that it's causing on the inside and what that's actually doing to the function of your organs. So if you have that from your lungs down to your diaphragm and on your liver or on your kidneys or wherever, it's going to really screw up what's mm-hmm. going on internally. Um, and that's the thing is it's hard because there it's an invisible illness, right? You can't see what's going on unless you're literally cut open and a scope is put in there to see what's going on. So it's, it's hard to diagnose and it's tricky. Wow. Okay. Uh, I didn't know it could be like that severe. Like it's, that's okay. It's been found on pretty much every organ. Um, It's been found on the brain. Yeah. Like it can, this thing is like a little monster. It can just kind of go anywhere. Um, And I, I haven't had a surgery in uh, since 20, 
16 or 17. Um, but that second one is where they found it in other spots that are just outside of the uterus, right? Like the diaphragm and right. the and stuff. So now like, so you went through the surgery, um, like wh- where you're at now, like, is this just something like you always have to be cognizant of? Like, is it when they do the surgery, like you're kind of like, I want, it's not a cure, but like, you're like, okay, I don't have to worry. And then maybe one day it will come back and do it all again. Pretty much. Yeah. So Holy shit. Okay. I had my first surgery in 2016 and then, um, I was lucky enough to get into a specialist and it's funny when I tell the story because the lady at the, at the specialist center, she literally told me, she's like, call me every morning. Like, I know how much pain you're in and I'm going to get you a cancellation. So I would call every morning and I would do my friendly harassment. Hey, it's summer. Do you have anything for me today? Um, and I got, I got in a lot faster, but I did have two surgeries within um, a two year span. Um, and that's not common at all. Right. So you get a lot of relief from those surgeries because they're excising it, right? They're taking it out. Um, But the thing with endo is that there's so many places that can grow um, and it can be microscopic. They've found endo that's microscopic. So you could be in there doing the surgery and there could be this whole section that's covered in microscopic endo that two years later turns into like this full flare that you didn't know was there, right? Um, And the issue with it too, is just this, because it's seen as a women's health disease, there isn't enough research and funding, um, particularly in Canada for, for treatment, right? There is no cure. Um, and a lot of people will get hysterectomies because they assume if I remove my uterus, this is where it stems from, I'll be good. And that's not the case, right? People have had hysterectomies and still have had issues with endometriosis because it's forming elsewhere. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's tricky. It's hard to explain. I'm like at a loss because not only like just that one in 10 women have to go through this. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I will say that of course, um, with the biological reproductive system, just to be, you know, you know, men could go through it too, of course. Um, but I'm thinking like back, like before we maybe like, you know, the sixties, the seventies, how many people must have suffered from this and doctors were just basically like, I mean, I don't have facts. I don't know if if you've heard stories like this, but like basically just totally dismissed it. So like, just they've had it like go throughout their bodies in excruciating pain and how much that caused, because, you know, I assume like male doctors back in the day would have just totally dismissed it and like not done anything about it. Yeah. And it's funny because I actually had this conversation with my mom yesterday and we were talking about the amount of women that go undiagnosed right now or the length of time, like the girl I was chatting with yesterday took her, I think 11 years to get diagnosed. Um, And that's in like 2021, right? So my mom has had several women's health issues. She's actually had a hysterectomy. Um, she suffered several miscarriages between mm-hmm. my sister and me. So she, her and I can talk about the fact that like, yes, doctors didn't care for anything that had to do with women's health. And I shouldn't say that as a blanket statement, cause I'm sure there are several out there that do, but for the most part, that's what these women experience, especially women of color. Like that's a whole other situation, right. With the healthcare system. Um, and 
yeah, they didn't, A, they don't, they didn't know what it was, or they wouldn't have the means to actually diagnose or treat or go in there and figure that out. But yeah, there have been studies that that's how I actually figured out that it could be in the brain, because I saw a study from like the 1900s where this woman was suffering so much and turns out she had endo in her brain. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm shocked, but I'm not shocked. You know what I mean? Because you hear these stories and you know what people go through. Um, and again, I'm very fortunate. So I got the answers I needed, but I, I fought for myself, mm -hmm. right? Like I pushed really hard with these doctors and my doctor and several others in order to get the treatment I did. So, yeah, it's, um, that, that theme has been, you know, like I said, we, I haven't talked about it a lot in a, in a while. So I'm glad we're talking about it again and reinforcing the idea, but uh, women and particularly, like you said, women of color, um, mm -hmm. having to be an advocate for yourself and your, your health when it comes to the healthcare system and how much discrimination there still is or racism in this, this field when it comes to issues like this, and, and especially something that's so prevalent. Have you been able to connect with women in America um, about this? Because, you know, it's one thing in Canada where, all this treatment, you know, is, I, I, I'm I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming most of it's covered, if not all. Mm -hmm. But when you're thinking about how ongoing it is and reoccurring and that it doesn't go away, that like women in America, like that could co like that, that's a whole other thing that just might come up because it would be astronomical the costs to treat this. Yeah. And I mean, I made the joke and it's funny, but it's not funny. The fact that like I could never live anywhere else because of what my body goes through and I need free healthcare. I need the mm. free access. Um, for me, the only cost associated with things right now is just um, prescriptions. So that's the big thing. Right. But for people that I've talked to that are either based in like the UK, Australia is huge. There's a really big community um, in Australia and the U S yeah, the costs are ridiculous. Mm. You have costs for these appointments and then imagine it takes you seven years of appointments to actually get a diagnosis that adds up. And then the treatment they want to do the hospital time, the recovery time in the hospital from your surgery. Um, someone I spoke to in Australia said that her family friends actually all contributed in to get her surgery because she couldn't afford it. Um, and she was at a really low point in life, essentially. Right. So Yes, in Canada, we are very fortunate, um, but there are still so many issues, I think, that are happening. And, and you see that just because, again, it's seen as a women's health mm -hmm. uh, disease. But yeah, it's I can't imagine living anywhere else, to be honest. I can't imagine what those women go through trying to advocate for themselves or fight for themselves. And this takes several years of paying for these visits and these appointments and these treatments that may not even work, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's like It's wonderful to hear that people are banding together um, across the world mm -hmm. to not only raise awareness about this, um, but, you know, I, I think about my own mental health advocacy and, and everything. And just the fact that people have to put so much physical and emotional labor and energy into just being taken seriously when it comes to, you know, our health and our, and our bodies and, it just, you know, it's, it's frustrating. It really is. And I, I can only imagine how disheartening it is for someone like you and, and uh, these other people that you've connected with and around the world, 
having to wait seven years, if not longer for, or maybe not at all for this diagnosis and treatment. Like to me, it just, like, it's so painful. It it really is. It is. um, And that's why I'm very open about the fact that I'm fortunate in my experience because of the stories that I've heard from some of these women, like it makes me so emotional because not only are they dismissed by doctor, but they're dismissed by um, friends and family who are like, oh, you're just being a baby. You know, you just have bad cramps. Everyone has bad cramps. Everyone gets tired from their period. Um, and it's like, well, no, actually, this, <laughs> this isn't the same. This is on a completely different level. Um, and it's not just on my period, right? It could be any time because this tissue isn't just there when you have your period. It's not just like, Hey, I'm coming to stay while anti-flow's here. And like, no, it's in there all the time. Um, so yeah, you, you lose a lot of, I've heard people say they lost friends. Um, they don't get along with their family. They've had to move out from their parents' house because their parents just didn't get it. Or they thought their, their parents thought they were drug addicts because of the reliance that they and these painkillers and Mm. like that's that's heartbreaking right I mean I I have a very supportive family and I'm very very lucky a lot of people don't right so it's like in the pandemic when we think about everyone staying at home well you don't know what people's home situations are like Mm -hmm. and now they're Mm -hmm. trapped in that environment um and can you imagine being trapped in that environment when you have a chronic illness and you're in constant debilitating pain and you're not getting any relief from the people that are there to support you. Um, so I, you know, I've through golden girl, I've met a lot of those women and it does, it just breaks your heart. It's horrible to hear about what they have to go through. makes me think about, um, where we're at with, you, you mentioned like, you know, they think that they're addicted and then I wonder, you know, I, there's probably no stats or anything even done research, but like the amount of women who have an issue maybe like endo or, or something going on where that's like dismissed where it leads to the drug addictions or the opioids or anything like that down the road, because they're just looking for relief to this chronic pain that they can't get anywhere else. And I wonder how many people get put in that situation and then where it leads to down the road into all these other crises that we're currently facing. I mean, that's why I think the connection between mental health and physical health is so overlooked, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't speak to that. I don't know a stat about it, but I know for myself and a couple of my friends that I met with endo, like we have a very high tolerance for these narcotics. Um, and the amount that we would have to take during a flare is not normal. It's not mm-hmm. what a doctor would prescribe or what a doctor would recommend or you know what's even good for your liver, but that's what gets us through the pain. Um, so I can imagine that there are a lot of people that, you know, have that dependency um, because it's the only relief that they can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, down the road someday, I, I wonder if that will, I yeah. mean, we're not doing anything about the opioid crisis right now anyway, but somewhere down the road, I hopefully that like that conversation opens up a little bit more talking about golden girl. Mm-hmm. So do you make this, this jewelry? Is that yourself? Do you source it? Like how's the process there? Both. Um, okay. So I'm not a jeweler. So a lot of things I won't do myself, like the pendants, you know, I, I can't make the molds and melt the the gold and stuff. I don't have the, the space to do anything like that. 
Um, but some things I do assemble myself. There's a couple pairs of earrings I assemble um, and I'll actually put like the pendants on the chain, finish the chain, tie it all off, that kind of stuff. Um, and then some of them I don't. Just, I wanna make sure that they're high enough quality and that um, they're durable. So some of the pieces I won't, um, but it's definitely a mix of, of the two. Mm-hmm. So you've only been, well, I mean, it's October, May now. So what's that like nine months? My math is bad too. Uh, horrible. What, <laughs> what's the reception been like? Cause I know for a lot of people, um, launching a business, launching a podcast, a YouTube channel, Twitch stream, like whatever you're trying to launch, you know, it's, it's really hard to get people's support. Mm-hmm. And that comes from your friends, your family, you know, it, it's just a struggle for everybody. How has it been like for you? Because, you know, just looking at the Instagram, like 1300 followers or however many it is, like that's huge in less than a year. That's massive. So what's the reception been like, not only from friends and family, but now strangers? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the thing I'm the most grateful for and I didn't know about is the massive endo community online. Um, I've learned so much about it from people that have found my account or from people I've connected with on there. So the endo people are unbelievable and I will give them praise all day because they're very open. They're very supportive. Um, You know, they share their stories. My friends and family um, are very, very supportive. I have, I don't have like a massive group of friends, but I do have a core um, group that is family to me and uh, they've been unbelievable. My boyfriend, my partner, Wade, he is amazing. He is very smart with digital stuff. So he helps me a lot. Like if I'm like, hey, how does this algorithm work again on Instagram? Like, should I be doing this or should I be doing this? And he'll kind of help me, right? Or like hashtags, help me with hashtags. Um, so I, I'm lucky because I have him as a resource as well. But for the most part, it's it's hard. Um, social media, like we could talk for days about the detriments of social media. Mm. Um, and I have encountered that and I've worked with a few local influencers to try to broaden my reach. And, um, some are great, some, you know, not so much. I mean, I don't want to put anyone down. Um, but their, their main priority is them. And that's fair. You know, it's a lot of work being an influencer and you put a lot into it. It's a lot of time. Um, but for me, like my premise with it is helping people right? And connecting with people and sharing um, anything that I've gone through to help them. So I've encountered a lot of people as well that are just like, well, no, you can't use my pictures because unless you want to pay me. Oh, okay. You know, and I I get it. Um, But you'll get a mix, but overwhelmingly, I'd say it's very positive Mm -hmm. for the most part. I want to shift for a second there because you brought up your partner and I don't need Mm -hmm. to know about the specifics about the relationship, but I do want to know through experience, because you did mention dating and social life a little bit earlier. Yeah. When it comes to people with endo and like dating and especially dating men, because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's one thing to have sympathy from another woman or or someone who might not experience this, but men aren't always the most supportive when it comes to just menstruation and, and periods in general. So when it comes to this issue, I mean, Mike, some of the, I guess my question is, because I'm I'm trying to find a great way to phrase this is, you know, Mm 
are men overly sympathetic to to this type of thing um, based on what mm-hmm. you've heard um, or you know what I mean like especially when it comes yeah. to dating because it gets complicated um yes and no so I'm very lucky I have mm-hmm. an extremely patient and understanding partner um and he knows some days you know physicalness is completely off the table and we're cool with that because we're very open and you have to be right mm-hmm. um with endo specifically something they don't talk a lot about is the effects it will have on a relationship um mentally and physically because something they don't talk about is that sex can be extremely painful mm. um and that's something that i was actually diagnosed with it's a if it's a different um condition called vulvodynia and it just means any kind of insertion, whether it be like a tampon to a Q-tip is extremely pain- painful and sensitive. Um, so that was a, another barrier that I had to discover. And again, I'm really, really fortunate and really lucky. My partner is unbelievable. Um, but some people don't have that. Uh, we actually just did a study with University of Ottawa and it was on the effects of endometriosis and relationships. And so we, we did surveys mm-hmm. with them every day and we did a, a first interview And, you know, she's kind of talking about how sometimes people will be not understanding about it, right? You can't have sex. Why not? Mm -hmm. Oh, what's wrong with you? You're making it up. Things like this. And the things they've heard, like, I I can't imagine. And my personality, I am a very no BS kind of person. My partner, when he listens to this, he'll be like, yeah, you know, I would always put that very openly on the table and I would never be with someone. I would never settle for that because I have in the past. Right. And you learn from those experiences. Um, my experience dating was very much just non-existent. Like I kind of, I went to university and then things changed when I graduated. So I didn't really date much. Um, and then I met him actually in school and we just became best friends and that's how it formed. But I know a lot of people will struggle with that, right? Because they don't talk about it. Like your mood is going to change when you're in constant pain. That's going to affect your relationship, your ability to go do physical things like dates and exercise. That's going to be hard. Um, Not to mention just the actual physical intimacy of a relationship. So it's a huge thing that people don't talk about. I think that's why it's so crucial that men start to understand issues like endo and and other things that you know people with a a reproductive system have to go through um yeah because you're right like like i said like men in general just aren't always overly sympathetic to the whole menstruation process Mm -hmm. um and and don't really give sympathy or really care or really truly understand it i mean most guys won't even say period yeah or, or anything yeah. like that right like they're just like mm. so i mean that's yeah. a lot of work that men have to do but just educating on things like this mm-hmm. a, and these issues um i like it's just so crucial for men to put in the work and, and educate themselves on on stuff like this it um, is yeah you know and start being comfortable talking about it because yeah I, it's funny when you, you talk to a man about that and they're, they get uncomfortable or squeamish. You're like, dude, Oh, I think it's and, hilarious. Yeah, it's I like, eat that really, up. Dude? Yeah. It's like, um, you know, that you came from inside your mom. Right. And like your sisters or if you become a dad, you know, your daughters are likely going to go through this. You will be buying the tampons one day for them. So it's, it, it's funny. I mean, I try to see the hilarity in it because otherwise it's kind of just upsetting. Right. Yeah. So 
I've been very lucky and, you know, I, like I, my dad has helped me um, post surgeries and stuff and they've seen it all. Right. So um, it's funny, but I, I, even as a kid growing up, like I was embarrassed to buy my tampons as a girl and I would send my mom. Right. So it, it's changed so much, like the whole period talk and the narrative and everything. And it shouldn't be something you're right. Like it's, it's natural. Everyone who has a female, well, for the most part, reproductive system goes through that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Th- I, that's just something in general. Like we have so many weird taboo we subjects, yeah. breastfeeding, mm-hmm. um, you know, like just all these things are that make people uncomfortable into a point where like our whole society is dictated. You know, I think back to uh Nipplegate with Janet Jackson and like, we like, you know, you know, you know, I work in the radio industry. Like if someone says sex or like boob or like penis on the radio, like freaking the phone, like, you know, complaints oh. at the was it's like, holy moly people. Like, I'm not, I don't know where this disconnect from human humans in our bodies and our anatomy and things that are completely natural, like masturbating or sex or just our regular day bodies have become so controversial. It's, mm-hmm. To me, it's absurd. It really is. Yeah. It's, it's funny. And I think a lot of it has to do with just like, I think social media is a big part of it, right? Because you can, you can have those conversations, but you're a little bit sheltered, right? You're not actually saying something face to face with people. Whereas um, I think in my mom's generation, like you just didn't grow up that way. Right. You didn't talk about that. That was very private. So when she hears me saying things or even she hears me swearing sometimes she's like summer, you know, come on. And I'm like, it's different now. <laughs> um, and it's, yeah, it's interesting how it's, how it's shifted because it shouldn't be something we, we shy away from. Are you on TikTok? I, so I go on TikTok occasionally, but I am not one of the people that lives on TikTok. Right. Um, I find like the younger generation like does not give an F. Like they're posting about like getting like come on the face or like being oh, choked yeah. and beaten and like weird, like I shouldn't say weird kinks. No kink is like weird, but yeah, just being really overt with it on their personal profiles. And even as like a millennial, I'm not an old person. I'm not approved, but I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if I'd post about that, you know? Well, yeah. And it, it can affect your job, right? Like yeah. it's, there's a limit, I think. There, there definitely should be a little bit of privacy. I remember I posted a video about being, I'm on SSRIs for my depression and like that really, I mean, it, it makes finishing the job um, very difficult, um, mm-hmm. we'll say. And I posted about that and even like, I was like, mm, should I have done that? But as a mental health advocate, I was like, you know what? Like, it's important yeah. that people know that this is an actual thing that a lot of people go through. Yep. Um, you know what I mean? But it, even just posting something like that, that was personal. I'm like, it's, maybe. <laughs> it's almost out of your comfort zone, right? Like I, I feel you, I'm on antidepressants and I don't talk about it much, but I've been diagnosed with anxiety and, and depression from a young age. Um, but I think, you know, we need to talk about it because there are so many people that go through it and they're like, nobody's talking about it. So it must be a situation where I shouldn't. Right. But that's what needs to change. Um, because especially with mental health, like the amount of people it affects is astronomical. Right. And then that effect it has on you affects your family. It affects your boyfriend, your sister, your partner, whatever the situation is. Right. So 
Yeah, that's and that's I think what I'm trying to do too, right? And what you're trying to do, you know, have that conversation. But it it is scary sometimes when you talk about certain things because you're like, ah, should I have said that? But I think the people that appreciate it, you'll find out pretty quickly. Oh, 100%. The community of support is a lot bigger than the community of hate, like, and people who who don't like that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's to talk about the things that you're talking about, just going to that conversation, like that is deeply personal to you and your body. Mm -hmm. And I guess, like, what really made you want to come forward and start sharing these very personal experiences? Because like, that is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a pretty open book. I'm not, uh, I'm an extrovert and introvert. So like, I like to keep to myself and I'm a homebody and I like animals more than I like people, but you know, once you get to know me, I'll talk your ear off. So, Mm. um, my main thing, and I, it's just some, I've been told so many times is that like, I live to help people. That's just what I want to do. Right. So if me talking about my experience give somebody the hope that they can talk about theirs, that's worth it to me. Right. And I've had that happen where with endo me, me sharing my experience, um, people have messaged me and been like, I don't know if I'm oversharing or if it's okay for me to message you about this. And I'm like, if you're comfortable with it, uncomfortable with it, because it's a huge step to come forward and talk about a lot of that. Um, And, you know, I, my family, and we have a lot of mental health um, issues in my family, and there's a lot of stuff that I've grown up with, and I've been surrounded by my whole life, right? So for me, it's very much a part of my life, and to ignore it or pretend it isn't there, that's just not who I am, right? Like, I, I don't want to pretend everything's okay when I'm having a crappy day, and that's something I've talked to my therapist about, she says, Summer, like, you don't have to snap out of it like that, and, you know, if you're having a crappy day, have a crappy day. If you're having a crappy day every day for a year, well, then yeah, something else needs mm-hmm. to be done. But if you want to have a crappy day and you just want to be mellow and be in that, that's okay. Um, and that's something I'm working with, right? Because I, it's, it's one thing for me to say, okay, you know, I'm comfortable talking about this, but then actually doing it is different. So yeah, I mean, it is personal, but it's, it's just, I don't want to hide from it. You know, mm-hmm. it's such a big part of who you are. And I think it's good to talk about it. Do I mean, you mentioned that women come forward, uh, you know, in your DMs and like mm-hmm. one, I'm sure you're seeing the same feeling that like when people, when someone opens up to you, feels comfortable enough to do that, like what a feeling. And just to know that you help someone just by sharing your story, like it, to me, it's one of the weirdest, but also like gratifying feelings and like you can experience. It's like, what? Like I just, all I did was like, be honest to who I am and that yeah. like that helped like, wow. Okay. But my, my question is, do women have a lot of shame like coming forward and talking about these things, even to other women or, or people with that, you know, the, the female reproductive system? Like, is that there a lot of shame carried in talking about things like endo and your and your reproductive is- like issues? I think it, it depends. I mean, I, it's so different for everyone and in, in what they're honestly what their support system is like. Right. If you if you grow up in a support system where you're like, yes, let's talk about this, let's be open, then you're not going to have that feeling of shame. I think what I've noticed a lot, though, um, with myself and with other women is the the infertility aspect of it. So with endo, um, infertility is very common, so it can affect your ability to have children. And I think 
you know, as a woman and as someone who identifies as a woman, like I want to be a mom and to have that in the back of my mind, we're like, okay, maybe I can't do that. It's very surreal. And there is almost a shame to it. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, that's my, the purpose of my body, right. Is to be able to carry a child. My hips are wider for it. You know, I store water, I store fat because I'm meant to, to hold this kid inside me. So for me, I think that is a huge part of it. And I think, you know, when women go through like miscarriages and stuff like that, um, that's something that's really, really tough. Um, and there can be, there shouldn't be because it's a natural thing and it sucks, but it happens. But I think that's tough. And I think the other part of it that they don't really like to talk about is the sex side of it. Just because people are a little bit more reserved and a little bit more private about that. Um, but there is a huge correlation between the pain and sex and intimacy with endo. Mm, yeah. The, yeah. A lot of stigma and a lot of uh, yeah. things cared around that just in general, but when it, you make the connections. Um, yeah, absolutely. Part of your business plan is you, you mentioned it, you want to help people and a portion of your sales goes to helping women's health as you, as you put it what are some of the charities that you've worked with uh and that you've you know made donations to and that maybe you hope to in the future just to like make people aware that like yeah buy your, your product and do it but if you want to help more there's these great charities doing really great work here so for me right now i'm donating five dollars from every sale to the endometriosis network of canada and that's what i've been doing since october um my reasoning for that is just because I wanted to do something that is Canadian and there are only a couple Canadian endometriosis charities. Wild. There's the endometriosis network of Canada and then there's the endo act and they both have really great resources, but the funding is lacking. Um, so for me, I wanted to kind of stick in that Canadian realm, but there are a lot of ones in Australia. There's a lot, there's called the endo foundation of America in the States. They have a ton of great resources um, and then there's lots of ones in Australia as well. So I think eventually, like, you know, I might branch out and try to do some other things because there are different avenues I'm really interested in, especially like um, talking about uh, people of color that are affected by women's health. You know, that's something that isn't talked about a lot. And the funding and everything like that is obviously going to be uh, impacted. So that's something I might branch out to in the future. But currently, it's just the um, Endometriosis Network of Canada. It's good to know. Perfect. Did I miss anything on this subject? Because it's a vast subject, lots of different elements to it, but I just want to make sure that like we cover a good amount. So maybe if there is a, a young woman listening who's struggling that might look into this diagnosis and bring it up to their doctor or even like a man um, or someone who just doesn't understand it and, and carries that stigma like that, you just really, really want to like make sure they know. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple things. First, you need to fight for yourself. Um, it's mm. the sad reality of a lot of these conditions. Um, so if you go to a doctor and you have a bad experience, don't give up, go see a different doctor. Um, I've had several surgeons and that's because, you know, you need different people for different things and that's okay. Um, and with one diagnosis, most likely is going to come another, right? So things go hand in hand and, um, I think it's really, really easy to be overwhelmed by it. And that's normal, right? Um, I don't want anyone to ever think that they're alone in this. And I get a lot of messages about that saying like, I feel so alone. Um, 
so if anybody ever does, you know, if they're struggling with that, my DMs are always open and I'll respond at like any time of night because, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to be there. Um, but I'm happy to share any resources or like other groups. I've met so many really, really nice people that are very similar um, with their intentions. So if anyone needs anything, like, honestly, I know people say, don't hesitate to reach out, but like, don't, I'm here, you know, mm. this is what I want to do. So um, I'm open to that. Awesome. Where do people find you on social media? Um, I know you have the Instagram. Um, are you on other things? Website? Where Where do people find Golden Girl? Yeah. Um, so my website is goldengirl.ca and it's spelled G-L-D-N-G-R-L. So no vowels. Um, I have a Facebook, but I don't use it as much as Instagram. My Instagram is pretty much my go-to. I've dabbled in the TikTok thing because um, Instagram reels, I just don't understand them. They are so not um, intuitive to me compared to how to make a video on TikTok, to be honest. So I would like to reach out on that. But if you ever want to reach me, um, email is super easy. Hello at goldengirl.ca or my website, goldengirl.ca. There's lots of ways to connect via email there or Instagram. I'm on it way more than I'd like to admit. So I will respond on there. Mm. Summer, I really appreciate you coming on here and talking about, like we said numerous times, these really, you know, difficult, very personal issues. So to give me that energy and talk about that openly, especially on a podcast, which people can listen to. um, I I really appreciate it. I think it's really important. And I'm glad that I educated myself on this subject a little bit more than I, I knew before. I think that's really important. So something I'll take forward. So just thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you too, right? Like it's, it's it's great what you're doing and you're teaching people from what you've learned. So I appreciate you doing that. Oh, that's very kind. Thank you. We'll, uh, we'll have to catch up down the road. And uh, I don't know, I, as we record this, it's Mother's Day coming up. So mm. I might have to get my mom a little something. So, um, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. But again, yeah, thank you. And it, it's been great to kind of like catch up a little bit after uh, not seeing each other for a while. Take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.